You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about integrating holistic financial planning into your personal and business strategies. I am super excited to dive into this topic today because it's something I've been personally really excited about and nerding out on quite a bit over the last year or so. There are so many intricacies and complexities when it comes to small business tax strategy and real estate planning and wealth management and just general financial planning that many of us owners don't know about. And we need to know about for ourselves as owners, as well as our families, as well as for our businesses. And helping women, specifically women business owners, build more financially free and fulfilling lives is essential to the work that we do. And I'm thrilled to get the nitty gritty details from today's conversation with our guest, Tammy Trenta, to learn more about how we can make our money really work for us. So Tammy Trenta is the founder and CEO of Family Financial. She's a certified financial planner, tax coach, and exit planning advisor. And she specializes in helping families and small businesses make more and keep more of what they earn. I cannot wait to hear what golden nuggets she's about to share with us. Welcome to Eloma, Tammy. Thank you, Kylie. Um, Okay. So Tammy, as I mentioned, I'm nerding out about this really hard right now. And one of the things I love so much about this show and the podcast is I get to learn more and more about people. And I think people are so interesting. Now, you wear many hats. You have many designations in this predominantly male-dominated industry. Tell me a little bit about the decisions you made that led you down this career path. That's a great question, Kylie. I um, first started off by letting you know that I did not have a financial education background at first. And my parents were pretty heavily involved in real estate growing up. And when I got to college, my parents split up. My dad took my college money and they both filed bankruptcy. So I was left in a position where I grew up middle class. I didn't have, I didn't really know what to do at that point. And sometimes you have to fall really hard to, and and sometimes those hardest falls are your biggest gifts. Mm -hmm. And And at that point, I decided, you know, I have to take out student loans, I have to get out of school, and then I had to really be deliberate about what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, first thing was, how do I get out of this student loan debt? So, um, you know, after one job selling long distance and, you know, another one in marketing, I discovered a position um, at an investment firm. And, you know, I just took a chance on it and I really liked what the environment was like. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the dynamics of the market, um, but it was scary. And I think for a lot of people, it's scary to invest when you don't really know what you're doing. And in many cases, (laughs) it's the equivalent of throwing a dart at a dartboard and, you know, yep. whatever house stock you hit, there's a 50% chance it's going to go up and then there's a 50% chance it's going to go down. So um, I decided to go back to school and get my MBA at that point. 
um, where I uh, focused on finance. Um, I then got became a certified financial planner. And my goal was really to learn as much as I could about finance so I could help myself, so I could advocate for myself. Because when I was 18 years old, knowing nothing, my college money's gone. I didn't even know that that's kind of illegal. It's a breach of fiduciary duty. And so learning to advocate for myself is where it started. And now, you know, now I get the privilege of helping other people, which is very rewarding for me. Yeah. That Well, thank you for sharing that story because, you know, I think that's understanding where people come from gives us so much more of an opportunity to relate and connect. Um, and that's such a really strong why. So Tell me a little bit about what uh, you work with families and, and business owners. I can understand where the family part is coming from, um, but tell me a little bit about what was it that made you kind of focus on families and small business owners with this set of services that you guys provide? Well, there's a lot of financial planners out there. And if you've been in the industry enough, you will discover that a lot of those financial terms become ambiguous. Mm-hmm. which then becomes confusing. So you could be a financial advisor and basically just sell insurance products or annuity products, or you could be a coach, right? You don't even manage money. And so uh, with all those different terms, I, I think that there it's the one thing that really um gave me resolve was that the majority of advisors out there are not fiduciaries. And so I'm not sure if you or your listeners have heard this before, but a fiduciary is somebody who has a legal obligation to put the client's needs ahead of their own. So if you work for any publicly traded company, are you advocating for the client? Is it even possible to advocate for the client when you're really who you're accountable to are the shareholders. Mm-hmm. And the United States is one of a few places where you can get away with a lower standard of advice called the suitability standard, which is what most brokers um, carry. So I decided after I graduated from business school, after a few jobs, that I really wanted to be a fiduciary. And so they couldn't work for a publicly traded company and be a fiduciary. It's just inherent conflict of interest. Um, shortly after the, the Great Recession of 2008, I had an opportunity to work for a business planning firm. And you know, at that point, I had been working for 12 years in financial planning. I could do it blindfolded. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. It just was the same thing over and over again. And I was really looking for more of a challenge. And so the business planning opened up a whole world for me. I feel like many business owners are underserved, primarily because even if you are a certified financial planner, many certified financial planners who are not self-employed themselves They don't know what it's like to be a business owner. They don't understand the needs that a business owner has. They don't understand the complexity of a business owner's financials and how everything in your business is sort of a cycle into your personal life. There is no separation from like work 
and personal, like there is when you punch a time clock and go home at the end of the day. So I learned a lot during that time in how to work with business owners. And, you know, over the last 15 years, I, I just kept, I was so thirsty to learn more. So much like you, I just continued on this path that um, discovering all these tricks and tools and points where I felt that I could really add more value to what I was already doing for clients. And that's been, that's been a great reward for me. Oh, I bet. To all my women small business owners providing professional business services, I am thrilled to introduce the 100 Collective. The 100 Collective is a directory and membership for women just like you, designed by women just like you. Our goal is to help owners build stronger businesses and help 1 million women build more financially free and fulfilling lives by leveraging our collective network. We created the 100 Collective to make it easy to find women small business owners to work with and hold a safe and supportive environment to thrive within. Memberships start as low as $9 per month, or you can join the directory for free today at the100co.com. Um, would it be too forward to ask for a couple of your tips and tools where our listeners might want to dig into a little bit? Sure. Uh, you know, and it's interesting because anytime I take on a new client, it's fascinating to me how they came about their corporate structure and, you know, all of those little things where, I mean, what do people, how do people know how to incorporate? There's nobody telling you how to do it. And <laughs> yeah, it's always might, like people just talk to their friends. They're like, hey, oh, what did I, you I, set up? <laughs> I should have an LLC. That's what my accountant said. And maybe the lawyer says something different. And yeah, friend or your father says something else. And so you start answer shopping and then you decide. So, you know, I like to just start with what somebody's needs are and what their expectations are. So you know, I recently had a client that, you know, he came to me and he had a C corporation and C corporations are unusual when you're just starting off. And he's had this business for 11 years and he is basically paid about $40,000 more in income tax based upon the advice that he received. And he's also, you know, opened himself up to some regulatory issues that he didn't even know about. So, um, you know, one of the advantages of a C corporation is that, you know, you have a a 21% flat tax rate. As it is today, we don't know if that is going to change at some point in the future. Sure. Um, and he, you know, deliberately incorporated in a state outside of California, thinking that, you know, maybe he doesn't have to pay the state income tax. But, you know, if if you're selling to all other parts of the country, I mean, you have Cal, you know, California sourced income, income in other states where you really need to re- be reporting not just sales tax, but income tax. And so, you know, I think he was someone who was relying on different people with different perspectives, but not one person who saw things holistically. The whole picture. And, yep. you know, for him, I think his his why was, well, I want to grow this. I want to get investors. And, you know, investors don't want to invest in like an S corporation or an LLC. 
But in my experience, what you see is like, you kind of start off with a different entity structure for many reasons, you know, one for tax, two for flexibility. And when it grows to a point where you are thinking of an exit, um, you know, maybe at that point, it may make sense to, you know, become a C corporation, but it really depends on what someone's objectives are. So, you know, there are some of some clients have multiple entities. So, you know, if you make $200,000 a year in revenue, you don't need a C corporation. Um, you know, you're better off with any of the others because there's something called, you know, the qualified business income deduction, which you might be familiar with. And the QBI is basically a 20% reduction in your net income. It does not apply to specialized um, services or trades, but that is, you know, a 20%. What what they do is let's say you profited by a hundred thousand, they'll take 20%, which is 20,000 and give you a discount, but you have to pay yourself a certain wage and it's like a, an optimization. So mm-hmm. You know, what I like to do at the end of the year is kind of figure out those rules and figure out how can I optimize that deduction for clients. Most tax preparers, you know, and I will tell you, you, you probably know this as well. There's like 1.4 million tax preparers in the United States and maybe less than a thousand tax planners. Mm. So it, it and, and in all fairness, with all of the rules that have come about with COVID and aid packages, tax returns have, you know, a big tax return has gone from like 100 pages to 250 pages. So it has been an incredibly thankless job for tax preparers. Most of them are behind. They're not getting the information. They're getting new laws thrown at them. And the result is on April 15th or March 15th, the clients told, oh, well, you owe a million dollars. Well, I don't have a million dollars laying around just in cash ready. So unless you're planning, um, you're really missing out on opportunities and missing out on the opportunity to be proactive. So the big difference is a tax planner is more proactive where the tax preparer is only reactive. They're just looking in the past. That's one thing that we'll do for clients. What's what's maybe the top thing that you wish small business owners would do that most of them aren't doing right now from what you've seen? I think that there becomes a balance. You know, let's say you, know, you want to start a podcast and you are earning money and you know, number one, does it even make sense to incorporate? Like at what point does it make sense to incorporate? Just because there's an idea doesn't mean that you have to incorporate. I mean, you can grow in to whatever your business becomes, but it's very hard, I think. And that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to figure out how to get started. Um, So if you, in the absence of having a corporation, you can be Schedule C. And all Schedule C is, is on the tax return, the personal tax return, which is the 1040. There's you know, Schedule A, Schedule B, Schedule C is where you report self-employment income, your sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of people don't know is, well, what a lot of people try to do 
as a sole proprietor is come up with a bunch of deductions so that they pay very little in income tax. So, you know, if you have 100,000 going through your Schedule C on your personal return and 90,000 of expenses, and, you know, maybe you took some travel and you just decided to write that off, or you've got some marketing expenses or maybe some meals, (laughs) and all of a sudden you're showing 10,000. Well, this is what I will tell you. The 1040 is, and the Schedule C is low hanging fruit for the IRS. Now, I mean, we've been deficient in IRS agents over the last few years, but that is about to change where they're hiring 80,000 new IRS agents. Um, Almost all of the clients that have had Schedule C and taken big deductions that are have been my clients have been audited. Wow. And so you need to be careful with Schedule C um, because they will take your company, whatever business it is, and they're going to compare it to other companies. And they're going to see what the average, and they're going to make you prove all of these deductions as to whether you're legitimate. Um, so you know, you probably find that a lot of people run their personal expenses through their business, right? I mean, I think almost everyone does it at some point when they're getting started. Yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to pay tax. The profit from Schedule C, so let's say you do have a $10,000 profit. Mm-hmm. You have federal tax, you have state tax if you live in a state that has state tax. Mm-hmm. And then you also have double social security and double uh, Medicare. So that's another 15% in tax. So that's why Schedule C people look at how much maybe they have 10,000 left, but they owe like 4,000 in taxes. It's like, this is crazy. How do I owe this much in tax? Why am I in the 40% tax bracket? And that's why. So I think if you get to a point where you have a few hundred thousand coming in, um, yes, you have to pay to incorporate. Yes, you have to pay for the cost of preparing an additional tax return. And if you're smart and you become an S corporation and you put yourself on payroll, you're going to have to pay payroll, mm-hmm. um, a cost for a payroll company. But now you're going to be a lot less conspicuous because now you're in a different category. We're in the business auditing group. And the business auditors, they may not want to waste time on a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars S corporation. They're looking for the millions. And so um, most of the business owners that are just getting started, they end up deducting a lot um, of stuff that maybe they shouldn't in reporting their taxes. And you know, they they become a pretty high target for audit. Yeah. You know, I think that's something it's fair to say no business owner is looking for uh, that notice from the IRS. So no, and it, good it, to know. They, have, they have three years to come back and audit you. So, um, you know, if I'm being transparent, this happened to me. And so I was and it, it was me, but it wasn't me. Um, but I was audited uh, for 2010 in oh, wow. 2013. And the reason for the audit was my husband, ex-husband, had Schedule C income and took a bunch of deductions. And so at that point, we were separated in the process of divorcing. And I get this notice. And 
he was not very financially responsible, you know, which is a whole other story, but (laughs) he just ignored everything. And because I was married filing joint in, well, in the year that he was being audited, we were married filing separate. So that was good. But in the year it was married filing joint, I was pulled into it. And so I did not get the federal forgiven on my end until 2017. And I think it was 2019 when the state finally said, I don't owe. Um, but oh my gosh, they disallowed every deduction for him, everything. And so he ended up owing over $150,000 in taxes with interest and penalties. And I was kind of along for the ride until I was able to get myself out of it. Um, but if I didn't have the financial knowledge that I did at that time, there's no way, there's no way. And so that's another thing to just be mindful of <laughs> when wow. you know, somebody has Schedule C on the tax return. That is Schedule C. The buzzword of today's conversation is Schedule C. Uh, yeah. Thank you for all that knowledge. Uh, I'm a little bit scared, and now I'm going to go dive into my own finances. <laughs> um, and for all those listening, I hope you do too. Are you burnt out, exhausted, stuck? uninspired. Sounds a lot like me in 2021, but I took the time and created the space to figure out what I really wanted. And then I made it a reality. That's what we're doing for other women business owners in our defining success workshop series. Take the time to really define what you want, and then let's build a roadmap to make it happen. Our workshops are filled with strategic and tactical takeaways, are very action-oriented, and help you create change starting immediately. RSVP today for our December 1st Defining Success for Owners Workshop Series in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and visit us at ricksworkshops.com, that's R-I-X workshops.com, to learn more about our 2023 upcoming quarterly workshops in Nashville, Phoenix, Chicago and Milwaukee. Um, uh, okay. So Tammy, I have like a million questions I could dig into with you. Another topic, uh, that I find to be a little confusing is estate planning. Yes. So what do owners need to know when it comes to estate planning? So I guess the question is, it depends. Um, each state has an exclusion And so depending on the size of your estate, you may not have to go through probate. You may not have to owe tax. Now, the federal tax threshold right now, um, you know, I could tell you it's 12 million, 60,000 per person. So if you're married, it's like a $25 million exclusion from federal estate tax, but not state estate tax. You have to look and see, you know, I know that's, that's pretty, that pretty much isolates like 99.5% of everybody in the country. So, but really what becomes important is if you die, what happens to your business? Um, How do assets transition? Um, Who takes care of your kids? 
And so, you know, if you find yourself, I mean, there's, there's different types of, you know, let's just say asset levels. And if you're just starting out um, and it's just you, you want to have a will, just outlining your wishes. It may go through probate. And, but if you outline your wishes, then you're at least telling the court what you want to happen. And because probate is a public process, anybody can come and contest that. So okay. um, if you have children, you absolutely want a will. You want guardian provisions. Who are going to take care of your children if you're not around? Um, and, you know, when you start to accumulate sizable assets, you definitely want to have a living trust. And a living trust, the, the beauty of a living trust is it helps to avoid that probate process. Um, so if you think about what COVID did to our court systems, it has backlogged everything. Um, the courts don't like, there are, there are like three main areas that the courts do not like to be the person telling families what to do. And it's family law, divorces, um, custody, and death are things that really are family matters. And they could be addressed as family matters if people just do planning in advance. But it's in the absence of planning that you end up in court. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing that I see is if someone becomes incapacitated. Because, you know, you could have somebody who handle things if you die, but what if you live? Who, if you, let's say you're in a coma, God forbid, or you have some disability and now somebody needs to be able to make financial decisions for you for both healthcare and financial, you need the powers of attorney. So at an absolute minimum, you should have a will and a durable power of attorney for healthcare and financial affairs and HIPAA which is like the health insurance. It's like, I don't know the exact acronym, but it's like the health information, privacy protection act. Yeah. If you name somebody as your power of attorney for healthcare, let's say, and they need to make a decision on whether you're going to live or die or what kind of treatment, they need to have access to medical records to be able to make a well-informed decision. And if there is no HIPAA authorization, oh. they don't have that information. And so the risk of, you know, first of all, it is incredibly stressful for them oh, I bet. to not have that information. Um, so I've seen trusts that are before 2000 that don't have those HIPAA authorizations because HIPAA laws became relatively new in, in the year 2000. But those those HIPAA authorizations are really important for your healthcare agents, for sure. Wow! Oh my gosh, I am just <laughs> I'm taking furious notes over here. This is so <laughs> fascinating to me. Um, okay, you've kind of touched on this a little bit. So, um, as I was kind of going through your whole suite of services, I noticed you've also integrated legal into your practice. Yes. Now, talk to me a little bit about why. And for all the listeners, why it's important to integrate legal into your practice when advising on financial matters. Why I incorporate legal as it applies. Because yeah, I, I believe it is important, but I want to know why you've decided it's important to integrate legal into advising on financial concerns. So, you know, if you think about the spokes of a wheel, um, 
you know, there's maybe 10 spokes on a wheel. And if one spoke is broken or not there, the wheel's not going to work very well. And so estate planning is a component of financial planning. So if you think about, you know, $1 and where do you want that dollar to go? Well, if I move the dollar in the education bucket, that's less that I have in my retirement bucket. If I move that to, you know, buying a new house bucket, then education and retirement are now suffering. And so um, with estate planning, it is in line with keeping more of what you have. So, um, you know, I'm writing a book right now and I have a pyramid of wealth. Yeah, um, it's one of those things that just never quite gets finished because you keep changing it. But um, there's something called the pyramid of wealth. And at the bottom of the pyramid, you have spenders, right? People live paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people don't really have a choice. But then the next level up is savers. And savers know that they need to save for a rainy day, but, you know, maybe they don't know why or what or when. Um, and they might not know the how. So that's when, you know, it's nice to have an advisor when you're in that saver category. When you graduate up into investor, that's when life starts to become a little more complicated. You want to make sure that you have beneficiaries named. That's when you want to have estate planning. And the sad fact is, is that even if you've accumulated wealth, most wealth doesn't last past the third, the first generation and it's eroded and at the next generation, you know, if you're lucky, you get two generations out of it. And the top level is wealth creation. And that's the highest level of wealth where, you know, you spend and you just can't even spend it enough because it's just, it's take on, taken on a life form of its own and it's growing. And that's a whole other set of challenges for people. Um, you know, there's the old adage that like, money doesn't buy happiness. And it's really true. I mean, you think about if, you know, I we could all dream we have a hundred million dollars sitting in our bank account and how liberating that would be. But, you know, how do you raise your kids with that kind of money? How do you make sure that they still have a purpose? There's still something that, you know, that motivates them. And so, you know, it's just a different dynamic at, at those levels. Yeah. And then, so with estate planning and financial advising uh, and planning, where else do you see legal come into play um, in like as owners are navigating finances? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Well, or should it come into play? The most important thing, like think about a football game, you know, and I, I love all of your analogies. I just have to talk that out there. I love all your analogies. You're painting such good pictures. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, but if you envision a football game and you have a quarterback. Sure. And then everybody's got a role. Mm -hmm. The quarterback, he calls the shots. He can see everything. He knows the plays. He runs the plays. And I like to think of myself as the quarterback. Um, And really what it comes down to is context. So I can see what somebody has, what they owe, what they have coming in, what they have going out, what their goals are, what they're saving, what their kids are like. 
I have this 360 degree view of their situation and I know what's important to them. Um, am I an expert in legal? No. Um, you know, I'm not a certified public accountant, although I know enough about tax planning. Mm-hmm. And you really need to surround yourself with a team that collaborates. And so, um, you know, when it comes to incorporating, you know, we might need a lawyer to come into play. Um, but to, in my opinion, the lawyer is not going to be helpful unless they have the context. And, you know, I'm going to paint a picture. Don't have a financial advisor or somebody who takes a holistic view. If I'm going to just call and get an attorney and do an estate plan, how do they know all of this stuff? Like the background and everything. Yeah. They're just going to say, send me a list of assets. They're not going to ask for your tax returns. They're not going to ask what your personal expenses are. Um, You know, the same with the business. They're not going to do that holistic assessment. So when I do it, I have a pretty good idea of what someone should do. And then I will bring in that particular specialist and discuss the why. I give them the context and it works so much better that way because then everyone knows the why. Everyone is on the same team. In the absence of that, if you ask an attorney, how should I incorporate? You're going to get one answer. Accountant, how should I incorporate? You're going to get a different answer. Mm-hmm. About the CPA, if you only have somebody preparing your returns, you ask them a question, they're going to give you a general answer. They don't see your bank account balances. They don't see your investment account balances. They don't know how much you have in your 401k because there's no reporting. So yeah. limit all they see is the 1099s that show what your income is reportable for that year. And they they just see your income. And maybe they'll ask about deductible expenses and that's all they see. So um, estate planning I bring in for business purposes. Um, If you have partners, you know, creating a buy-sell agreement is really important. Um, You know, my husband got burned on a buy-sell agreement. You know, there's just, there is so much, you know, and again, it's like life is not fair. No, life is not fair. No. And sure <laughs> that people can advocate for themselves. And if they don't have the knowledge or the desire to find somebody who can yeah. advocate for them, um, that they trust, that they know has their best interest. It's so important. I don't know why they don't teach this stuff in school. I really <laughs> don't. But it's to me, like so many of the world problems would be solved if we all had that, like just education level. Nobody tells you. Yeah. You just learn it the hard way. I totally agree. I think generally speaking, everybody needs to leave high school with some basic understanding of money. Like, come on, people. <laughs> we, we're just thrust out into the world and, and, you know, we learn from our parents. And if your parents aren't good with money, yes. then just, you know, out of luck. Um, Tammy, I could eat up your entire day and ask you a million questions, but I won't do that to you. Uh, let me ask you just a couple more questions and we'll wrap up. What is the one thing you want listeners to take away from this conversation? That is a good question. I think the most important thing is if 
if you have a business and you have a successful business, make sure that you find an advisor that understands you and gets you. That's a fiduciary. Um, make sure that they're a certified financial planner and that they do planning. Um, you know, ask them how often you meet with them. You know, for my business owner clients, I do I do quarterly check-ins, you know, where we review their financial statements. Um, you know, like I said, there's not that many business financial advisors out there. And so it's, I think they're hard to find. But if you can avail yourself of someone like that, I mean, we'll focus on making money and running your business and let somebody else help you with that stuff. You know, we're self-employed. We are comfortable with delegating and hiring people to do jobs that are not our highest and best use. And to me, it's if you get the right advisor, it's worth every penny that you spend. For sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you mentioned you're working on a book right now. Is there anything else you're working towards that you're excited about? Oh, um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. I, I'm also trying to develop a financial planning curriculum for people who are just getting started. And, you know, I, I have so many, I have so many ideas and directions, but, you know, if, if, the government isn't going to require, if the states aren't going to require financial literacy, you know, then at least people have an alternative. Um, you know, I also would love to do a program on helping business owners get started. Um, you know, it's, 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 I feel like that market is very underserved. And the reason is, is because if people don't have money, it's hard to make a living as a financial advisor with people who don't quite, you know, haven't quite gotten there yet. And there's so much that they could do to be getting there. And, you know, so I think a program like that would be so beneficial for, for people. Well, getting keep me posted on that because I would be happy to share that all, all over the place. That, that sounds amazing. Um, all right. My last question for you, Tammy, what is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? Greatest discovery is everyone is going to have fear. I think fear is the one emotion that prevents us from going after what we want in life, fear of failure, fear of rejection. And fear is an illusion. And it is, it, I, I think that that is something that, you know, no matter where you are, you just have to abandon that fear and put it in its place. And, and maybe a, a way to, to look at that is like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Play it out in your mind, put yourself there and say, okay, this is the worst thing that's going to happen. Can I live with the downside? And if your answer is yes, then you just do it. Don't yeah. let fear hold you back because, you know, I just turned 50 this year. And, you know, I have my own company now, but after making that transition, I realized that I could have done this a long time ago, um, but it was that fear that made it take as long as it did. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, Tammy, I'm definitely following up with a whole bunch of other questions. <laughs> um, and if any listeners are also intrigued, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? 
So I'm on LinkedIn, Tammy Trenta, and I have a website, familyfinancial.biz, where you can send an inquiry, um, you know, and you can schedule an introductory call. Awesome. Awesome. We'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Uh, For all of our listeners, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's episode half as much as I have, please go ahead and leave a review wherever you are listening. And Tammy, thank you again so much for your time and your nuggets of knowledge. Uh, So appreciated. Thanks, Kylie. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com. 